0: I have cats, he has dogs, neither of us have children. That's why we're doing the Friday show. Greg Pickle joining the show today because our regular guest on Fridays, Ryan Snyder, has some children he has to take care of today. So we are going to be doing Ryan Snyder's best bets with Greg Pickle, recruiting and, of course, getting your preview of a Penn State football game coming up this weekend between Penn State and Michigan. Greg, welcome to the show. It's been a while since we had you on.
1: T. Frank, it's good to be on. I know that Ryan wishes he could be here. I guess I should have probably wore a backwards hat to be Ryan in reality. But (laughs) at any rate, uh, I'm here. I'm ready to roll and we have a whole lot to get to. I'll try my best to fill in his uh, considerably large shoes.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of recruiting news. I know this is a big weekend for recruiting at games. You, along with Ryan, are our intrepid recruiting reporters that go down on the sideline. They get all the photos. You guys get all the information, and uh, this is a big weekend, so we'll be getting into that a little bit. One place we want to start right off the top is uh, Emil Wagner. Bit of an upset. He did not pick Kentucky, which is what we've been hearing going into this week. Who did the four-star tackle commit to, and what's your read of that situation?
1: Yeah, so it's fascinating to me because Penn State fans, I think, were probably surprised to even hear his name come back up because the Wayne, Ohio, four-star offensive lineman, T. Frank, was just not, I mean, it's not that he wasn't interested in Penn State, but all signs pointed to Kentucky for quite some time now, and a lot of people assumed he would go there, that's where his brother is a GA, his brother, I believe, did also go to Kentucky, so There were a lot of signs pointing there. And then by Thursday morning, it seemed like it was a Kentucky-Penn State race. And as Ryan said, inside the lion's den, there was an opportunity for Penn State to uh, maybe steal this one late. And it turns out that someone did steal it. It just wasn't Penn State. It was Notre Dame who kind of came out of nowhere here and uh, found a way to land this four-star offensive tackle. So the reason I wanted to bring this up this morning was basically that – It was interesting to me because you don't see often these kind of surprises in the recruiting world anymore. There's too much information out there. There's too many people tracking it. Kids are doing interviews and posting graphics and all that kind of stuff. So you don't see this kind of a thing very often. But, boy, when you do, it sure uh, jumps out at you. And this one did. Penn State, of course, I think, uh, with Phil Troutwine, really did a nice job of getting even in the mix for this down the stretch. Um, But they didn't get to visit late and that was probably one of the signs that this wasn't going to work out in Penn State's favor. Kentucky, of course, did, and it didn't work out for them. So he is Notre Dame bound. And, uh, you know, again, I think Penn State tried its best here but couldn't close the deal in the end.
0: And uh, it, it's he would have been added to a already loaded class in the class of 2022 for Penn State football. So just a quick review of who is on the offensive line for Penn State in 2022. It is a big class. I mean that figuratively and literally. Drew Shelton, Andre Roy, J.B. Nelson, Malik McNeil. Um, This would have made, and Penn State is still kind of in the mix with Julian Armella, according to Ryan Snyder, another uh, high four-star tackle. That would make four offensive tackle prospects in the same class. How do you view... That situation uh, with, uh, with the, today's aspect of the Penn State offensive line in perspective of it's not going well and they want to add four tackles. Are those two things related or are they not related?
1: I think there's some relation there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think you want to replenish your offensive line, both inside and out. Any, any opportunity you get when guys uh, who you have a good relationship with also have a passing grade in terms of being a commit. So, you know, the question with Penn State's run game now in the offensive line, I know you have, you have addressed it uh, earlier this week. Others have, too, you know. Is it coaching? Is it that Phil Troutwine doesn't have the players that his scheme prefers? Is it development? Is it recruiting before Troutwine got here? Is it recruiting development? Since he's been here, what's the problem? And everyone kind of points to this offensive line class that's incoming is the one that could fix things. And, of course, you have some guys we're waiting to see, Landon Tangwell being one of them, yep. Fashanu being another one. And, I mean, there's some hope, I guess, on the horizon. But at the same time, T. Frank, you know, we, I mean, JB Nelson is probably somebody fans who are going are to point to and say maybe he can play right away. Well, Wigan couldn't get on the field after coming in from Lackawanna. It took him a year, um, so I wouldn't get your hopes up there that just because he's in junior college, he can commit and play right away. Maybe he will. Maybe I'll be wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong, but I think that's important to keep in mind. And then you know, Drew Shelton's developed nice, but you just don't see many guys play right away. So this class could be the fixer, but it's going to take a couple years in all likelihood. And then. If you're watching us on YouTube, you're seeing the, uh, the question T. Frank ask: Is help on the way? And maybe I'm still in your transition here. But I look at that list, T. Frank, and I guess I would feel better about it. And I don't know where you come in on this. I'm sure we'll find out here in a sec. But I'd feel better about that list if Sal Warmly was actually playing at a level that uh, would have made him a starter if he was healthy. And if he can get back to that level and start next year, I think I'd feel a lot better about where that list stands. Because otherwise, I mean... I have a hard time believing Nick Dawkins will be ready to go next year. Ibrahim Treor, maybe, uh, you know, Golden Israel, Chumba, maybe. I, I don't yeah. We haven't gotten enough feedback on those guys. Everyone wants to know about Jimmy Chris because he's such a big kid. Haven't heard much of him.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then you have Tangwall. So, is help on the way? Uh, I would say you better hope so, but I wouldn't say it's by any means a guarantee.
0: So, this this is kind of what I've been looking at as far as who are the guys that could change the math next year considering the fact that you have guys that are going to continue to be a part of the lineup as long as they're on the field, I imagine. you know, Unless there's an open competition and somebody just straight loses next year, um, these are the names you're going to be working with. Landon Tangwell, obviously, is the guy that sticks out the most. The rest of these guys, to me, represent the upside recruiting that Penn State was trying to do with um, with Matt Limegrover over the last couple of years. and And, and by upside everyone has upside right so every player has upside but really like you know Olafishunu 66 is he filled out is he going to be a project Landon Tangwall came in at the right size and the guys in the class of 2022 for the most part are coming in at the right size you're not getting guys with big frames that you got to fill out everybody else on that list to me other than uh maybe the two we've talked about with Tangwall and uh with Fashanu they're all projects They're they're all guys that maybe they could hit, and maybe they absolutely won't. Golden uh, Israel Chumba, to me, 6'4", 334, he came in as a powerful guy, but he had to lose weight. He had to transition his body. Uh, And that's going to be the biggest question to me is do any of those guys hit? Wormley is the one that we've heard about preseason that was going to take that next step and be a guard, so you factor him in. So there's two or three guys, and here's the other question is how many of that list do you need? How many of those guys do you really need to be on the field? Because Penn State has played six, usually, and they're barely playing six this year with Bryce Effner. Uh, How many of those guys do you think have to step up next year for this to change dramatically?
1: Yeah, well, a couple of things. So I guess let's do the math in terms of returners, right? So I think Miranda's probably done after this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he'll be out. Uh, When you look at the tackles, I would assume Rasheed Walker's going to not come back for the free COVID year. Some would maybe make the argument that he should. Some made the argument that he should have come back this year, last year. And, you know, there's various opinions on that. Uh, You know, Caden Wallace, I assume, will be back next year. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, Juice Scruggs probably slides in the center. I mean, my question, I guess I have two, and they kind of impact each other. One, can Penn State go into the portal? And find somebody to play right away. Let's not forget, Spencer Rowland's coming from Harvard. And Eric Wilson made that transition from Harvard to Penn State and was able to step on the field pretty quickly. And uh, is now a starter, which you could say that has something to do with uh, the depth. You could say that it has something to do with the other options. But it's a fact of the matter. He is a starter. So. Yeah you know that could change the math here and then the other thing T Frank let's not forget is that you have a guy like Des Holmes who I think many of us thought would have a bigger role this year he hasn't why that is nobody really seems to know but you know maybe he gets back into the mix that we saw in 2019 and 2020 and and fills a slot that's vacated next year so i think that maybe two or three of these guys have to hit but I think you would also do yourself a lot of good if you could find another starter quality player in the portal along the offensive line, in addition to having Spencer Rowland turned into that kind of a player.
0: Yeah, and you you make a you make a great point that transfers have to be a part of the equation. Uh, yeah. Is Harvard playing football this year again? Harvard the, they they yeah. are okay. All right, so that's a that's a significant difference that Harvard is playing football and has a weightlifting program, and it's not a dude coming off of not playing for a year being inserted in the starting lineup. At right. guard instead of tackle, like there's a that was a big transition for Eric Wilson to be playing as well as he is, especially as pass blocker. I think is a credit to him, uh, but to get better, there need to be better circumstances. Um, Penn State has clearly shifted their focus in the transfer portal to find players like Wilson and uh, Roland Ebikiti Tangelo. Do you think they need to be more aggressive because the transfer attrition? It doesn't necessarily always affect your starters. It affects your future starters. So plugging those holes seems to be really what you need the transfer portal portal for. And Penn State has been tentative so far, but they've gotten more aggressive last year. Do you think they need to be even more aggressive going in the future so that you always have that frontline starter that you feel confident about, uh, at least as far as the, the play on film that you have evidence of?
1: Yeah, I would say probably at this point. I mean, but it's going to be a math problem. I mean, and this is why when we talk about the recruiting side of things, you know, they have 25 plus role and 26 committed, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, how many spots are they going to be able to fill and still stay under the 85? That's the question you have to prioritize. I think we can all agree that if Sean Clifford doesn't come back, you have to find a quarterback to come into this room. So there's one spot you know you have to use. I think they're going to have to use at least one along the defensive line. Uh, if Jair Brown leaves with Jaquan Brisker, you probably should be looking to use one in safety or in a secondary at least. Um, so there's a lot of holes that might need plugged on this Penn State team during the f- offseason to come, and they're going to have to decide how much space they have to do it. And so that's why I think they're not rushing to add some other guys. I mean, they may not have the option to. They may just lose out on them, and it won't matter anyway. But, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind that penn state is uh going to be aggressive across the board and i think to your point they certainly should be along the offensive line but you know i I guess the problem here is that if you're good starting caliber offensive lineman why are you in the transfer portal yeah unless you're coming from a max school or a group of five school or you know harvard uh for example you know yeah and those guys it's a step up it is and arnold abikidi's made it uh, from power a group of five to power five, that's great. But can you consistently make that jump, number one, with players in any position? And then number two, especially along the offensive line, that's going to be a part of Penn State's math equation at that spot next season.
0: Yeah, it, it reminds me of two things. One, uh, former coworker Steve Jones used to talk about basketball when it comes to you want to be the older team. And I, that's one thing I've noticed with the transfer portal in college is teams are getting younger and younger because if, if your depth players that would step up, I was watching NC state, Daniel Joseph is playing for NC state this year. And now I don't know what his timeline would have been here with the free COVID year and all those things. I don't have, but the, the point being that there are guys that have transferred out of the program at positions where Penn state needs defensive ends this year. So being older and being veteran, is almost as important as being talented at this point. You know, I I've said this before on the show. Do you really think Nick Saban wants to be starting a freshman quarterback? No, no team wants to start super young players. And it's happening more and more because of the transfer portal. So I guess that's that's the thing and, and you're right. The positions that are important to be mature at especially, those are at a premium. I guess that's kind of my next question is what positions would you target? In the portal, not just for Penn State to need, but in general, about what do you think is value adding to your roster that way?
1: Again, I think that if you were aggressive, as James Franklin has said last year in the portal, and didn't come up with a quarterback, I think you have to, and I'll be curious to get your take on this, but I think you have to limit or not limit, lower your expectations a bit or lower what you're looking for, but you have to find somebody. I mean, if you can't play Taquan Roberson because he's not good enough with Sean Clifford in the state that he was against Illinois it's time to move on there as far as I'm concerned, unless there's going to be some major progression this coming off season, which would be great. I think he's a good uh, part of this team. I think he's a good asset for Penn state and I think he tries his best, but that's a simple reality of it. So I think you have to bring somebody in there um, and hope that they either win the job or at least can be a good off field presence for the younger guys coming in. So quarterbacks one, offensive lines two, um, you know, could they make a splash at running back? I doubt it, but we'll see. We didn't really see John Lovett coming this year, and that happened. So, I would say that's further down the list, though. Safety, obviously, and then defensive line would be my priorities at this
0: point. Right, John Lovett, to me, just as uh, one thing that I noticed about his his game was he was really here to help the running backs transition to the new Mike Yursich schemes. That was like bringing in a culture guy in the NFL. You know how when when a, a head coach gets a job for the first time, he brings yep. like eighteen players from his previous. Uh, his previous team, just so he can like install his defense and his offense. That's what John Lovett felt like we're running now a more big 12 offense. So we need to have a guy that understands it. Uh, But yet to me, I'm looking at, I'm looking at what they did at corner. And I find that Mm -hmm. interesting as well, because uh, uh, John, uh, Johnny Dixon has played some this year, but AJ Litton was a high four star. He plays on special teams and he's going to factor in, in the future. So I'm of two minds there where it's, if you can find guys at high-volume positions like receiver and corner, and you can bring them in and there's less pressure to play them because you already have a bunch of those guys, you might be able to hit some high upside there, finding guys that have fallen through the cracks that you had previously high, highly evaluated coming out of high school. And I, that's, I think you're right. The quarterback is one if you don't have one. And then if you can find those veteran offensive linemen, I know this is a JUCO thing that Mississippi state had like nine JUCO transfers at the offensive line at one point, uh, like six or seven years ago. That's another Mm -hmm. route you can go, but that's tough because you're right. There's, there's gotta be a reason those guys are available Uh, and how Penn state plays that going forward in the future is going to determine a lot of what happens in the regular season. One of the things that happened this week, once again, Penn state is not ranked in the college football playoff. Just, your quick thoughts on that particular situation.
1: Well, I think it's ridiculous. I also think it's kind of irrelevant. You know, I know that we live in a time when, uh, you know, it's fun to get upset about things and anything that is a reason to yell and scream. A lot of people will take it and that's fine. You know, you're there's fans and that's what fans do, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it, this week matters, right? So if they beat Michigan there, I'm very uh, 99.99999% certain they will be ranked. So, yeah. and if they lose to Michigan, even if they were ranked last week or the week before, they would not be ranked after this week. So, you know, let's just see how it plays out. I don't understand this committee, to be quite honest with you. It's new. They have seven to 12 new members, and I just don't don't really understand a lot of what they're doing at this point in the middle of the rankings, uh, more, more so than the top. Um, but you know what they did with Michigan and Michigan State was silly. What they're doing with Oregon and Ohio State in that context is silly. But um, you know, again, I, I think a lot of people have this take. This is not uh, this is not one that I solely have. But you know, they ruined this whole thing really when they made it a weekly TV show because yep. that's what it is. It's yep. a weekly TV show. It's not these rankings right now. It's I know that they release. have some. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they'll have some bearing on the final result, but ultimately it's just, it's a TV show and it's, it's ridiculous. So hopefully when expansion happens, they can find a way to maybe dial it back a little bit or release these a little bit later. That would take ESPN agreeing to that, of course, because yeah. ESPN, is the big benefactor and the big pusher of these. Um, so we'll see, but it's silly. There's no doubt, especially considering some of the teams that Penn State beat who are ranked, but Ultimately, it comes down to this week. Penn State gets a win, then they will be good to go.
0: I've called this the "because I said so" uh, committee because I said so. That's really their their rationale on things. And I I have not watched it. I've just been seeing the quotes, and you do a great job at your newsstand of getting relevant information into the into the where people can consume it. So we don't have to watch a thirty minute press release. But there's just a lot of they're a good team. They're a tough out. Right, we like there, there's no not that they ever reveal what their criteria are, but this is a right. particular one of head to head doesn't seem to matter. They're only they're really looking, I would imagine, at advanced metrics of these guys are better at moving the ball in multiple areas. These guys are not. Uh, we find this to be paper thin versus whatever, and and it it does kind of ruin the point when Michigan and Michigan State play. It's a great game, and then it's completely undercut by the idea that uh the team that lost they just think is better and because i said so right and that that's and, uh, that's a that's a that's a year by year thing i think james franklin makes a good point sorry last thing here is james franklin makes a good point that you don't know what they want they started scheduling hard teams cuz they thought strength of schedule would matter it doesn't
1: well the community doesn't know what it wants so how could anybody else? That That's really my main takeaway. And then they send poor Gary Barta out there to have to justify the thoughts and rationale and voting of 12 people. So one last thought on this, Steve Frank. I heard a lot of Penn State fans claiming that Gary Barta, the Iowa Athletic Director, who's also the chairman, is the reason that he's pushing an anti-Penn State bias because of the injury comments and everything else. That's absurd. Right. That's obnoxious. But uh, just one counterpoint. John Urschel is on the playoff committee, so yep. Penn State has an actual voice in that room. Let's not forget that.
0: Uh, one quick question uh, to follow this up: Do you do you think that in the in the metrics of this, because this is another conspiracy theory, that the ratings matter? Cincinnati, aside from their schedule, would not draw the same way as Oregon. And Oregon is like, we're going to let you in because you're in the Pac-12. Or So, like, do you believe that that, that narrative of we have to have Alabama and we have to have Ohio State because they drive ratings?
1: You know, again, it's a TV show. So I think, you know, the people in that room, uh, there is one, like, media liaison uh, professor at, I believe it's Arizona State. Um, so there is, like, one media mind in that room. And all these people understand that dynamics of media because they've been involved with it their whole lives, whether as, as athletic directors, as coaches or what have you. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily ratings, but I think indirectly there's a bias and there are always, this is always the case to the big team, to the big market, to the uh, traditional brand you could say. So, yeah, I think that plays some role, but you know, ultimately they seem to expand this thing. And then a lot of these conversations can go away.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the real hope is that once we get to expansion, Right. There's less arguments about There's less bickering about this uh, Are you ready to get to Ryan Snyder's best bets?
1: Yes I am, let's do it I just realized I didn't give you a Penn State best bet So I'll have to make that up on the fly
0: <laughs> That's alright, uh, I didn't know if it was a journalist integrity thing I was absolutely not going to push you to, to, to say was, anything No. But I always um, wanted to make sure it's on there uh, So here we go We'll, uh, we'll get started with uh, Here's the list today We have Cincinnati, South Florida, Wyoming, Boise State, Hawaii, oh yeah, UNLV, Air Force uh, at Colorado State, Georgia and Tennessee, Arizona State at Washington, of course, our game of the week, which we'll get to at the end, give you a little bit of a breakdown. I'm always excited to hear your opinion and to hear Ryan's opinion because I have mine all week long. And then I talked to Nate, and I don't really get a perspective of anyone else on the staff when it comes to their thoughts about the game this weekend. So let's start with Cincinnati at South Florida. This is a huge spread, Uh, plus 23 for South Florida. What are you doing here?
1: I just think it's too big of a number. I mean, we just talked about Cincinnati and kind of... Some of the struggles that they have had, they're in the head. When these two teams have uh, similar opponents in the past, I think South Florida has matched stride for stride what Cincinnati has done. So to me, it's just too many points to you, Frank. You know, I look at South Florida. Are they a great team? No. Um, And could Cincinnati turn it on? And that game is Friday night. So could Cincinnati turn it on and uh, blow a team out and kind of say, hey, committee, look at this. Sure, they could. But I'm going to bet against them doing that, even if they do. uh, uh, You know, with the way I have this line, uh, I can still lose by three touchdowns with South Florida and still cover. So that's why I start there.
0: Yeah, you can you can blow a team out by 20 and still not cover at 23 and a half. So that that's a big number. Uh, Anything else on that game that you're thinking about? Like, what is it about uh, Cincinnati? Because they have been inconsistent at times. Is that's also part of the the offensive inconsistency making you a little gun shy on that? It is.
1: It is. Yeah. And it's a short week. So, you know, obviously that and they had to travel and, you know, South Florida is not necessarily a crazy place to go and play, but. I just and again I don't you know I've watched this with Ryan and he has all these stats and numbers and breakdowns and I'll have some of that eventually but um for this <laughs> particular game it's more of just um a number you know yeah it's not about a quarterback on either side it's not about a defensive lineman on either side you know it's more about for a team like Cincinnati that has struggled against conference opponents to really kind of bust a game open um I just think it's too many points going on the road if it was at home maybe a different story but. Uh, I just think it's too many to to give a team that, uh, you know, for them to lay that many points in a situation where they haven't been great as much lately as getting big blowouts uh, against conference opponents.
0: Next one we have is uh, Wyoming, the fighting Josh Allens at Boise State. What are you looking at in this game?
1: Yeah, so I was kind of looking at the total here at first. The total in this game is uh, right around 50. I think it was 48 at last look. And so to me, that's just a lot of points in a, you know, 14 points on the spread is a lot of points in a game that has a total that low. Um, And so, you know, Wyoming obviously does not have Josh Allen these days, so (laughs) they don't move the ball as well. But I kind of see this game being a little bit of a slog, T, Frank. I I like the under two, but – Uh, Unlike Ryan, I hate when he does that, when he bets the same, the total and a side in a game, that drives me nuts. So I picked one and uh, my pick was uh, the Wyoming uh, Cowboys at plus 14. Um, You know, I I just think that, Again, I think the under's in play here, and when we're talking about a a total of 48 and I'm getting 14 points, I just like my chances there to be able to stay inside that number. So, obviously, Wyoming going on the road makes me a little bit nervous, uh, you know, going to the blue turf and all that, and Boise State's been... Um, you know, when they can get into space, they can cause problems for you. But uh, I give Wyoming a pretty good chance to stay inside of two touchdowns. And that game is also Friday night.
0: So the farthest I go in betting personally is fantasy football. So you're going to have to explain to me. I, I'm curious to know, why does that drive you nuts? Why does him doing that make you crazy?
1: Well, it's it, there's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just that you're always kind of rooting against yourself in a way, right? So if right. you need points, if you have the, you know, Let's just use. Well, I won't blow the uh, the analysis for later in this check the segment, but let's use Michigan Penn State as an example. Um, so, if I have Michigan minus one and a half, right, and I and the total is, I think it's in the forties. I'm going to try and pull it up here quick while we're talking. Um, you know, so but anyway, if Michigan's up by a touchdown, T Frank. And I also have the over. The total is 48.5. So if Michigan's up a touchdown, but Penn State's driving, now what do I want? Do I want Penn State to score so it helps the over, or do I want Michigan to get a stop to preserve that touchdown lead, which of course has me covering at minus one and a half. So you know I do like at times pairing unders with underdogs in the same game. That's something I've done before, but for the most part, I try to avoid that. And Ryan tries to as well because he always says that he's trying to, but uh, (laughs) he never ends up actually doing it most weeks. Uh,
0: Our our lines today brought to you by wherever Greg found them. And if you want to be the place that uh, our lines are brought by, you know, you can hit us up. You know where to find us. Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. Uh, Our next one is Hawaii at UNLV. Uh, What are you looking at in this game this one is at this one is in Vegas, so we're not going all the way out to the uh, Pacific Time Zone for Hawaii.
1: Yeah, so it's at Allegiant Stadium, which is interesting. Um, I mean, UNLV just stinks. I, I mean, it's not, and Hawaii's not a world beater either. But UNLV, I think, it was oh yeah, it was zero seven going into last week. It's now one and eight, so it's got its first victory, and I'm sure it was party central out there, but. T. Frank, the real key to this matchup for me with Hawaii and the three-and-a-half is I think they're a little bit better on offense. But when you look at it, UNLV is terrible on kickoffs. Like teams start with outrageously good field position. And so there's a reason they're 0-7, and part of it is that they can't move the ball that well on offense. And the other part of it is that they give teams just wonderful field position to start with. How many times have we heard James Franklin talk about, and other coaches too, the field position battle mm-hmm. and average drive start position. And, you know, you can kind of scoff at some of that stuff and throw your hands up and say, well, it doesn't matter if you throw an 80 yard touchdown on Jahan Dotson. And that's true. But yeah. uh, most teams are going to prefer to start closer to the 50 or over yeah. it. If they can. And UNLV lets a lot of teams do it. So to me, that really stuck out as an opportunity to get, I would prefer if it was three, it's three and minus three and a half. And maybe that number will go down a little bit by kickoff. But I just think that UNLV is going to be a little bit hungover from its big win last week, and it's going to be willing to still not kick off well, because you can't really fix that problem on November 13th. So you put those two things together, and I just like the chances for Hawaii to win by probably a touchdown. So I'm okay with laying a three and a half.
0: And Hawaii is one of those teams that can put up a, gob, a gobs of points at any time. Like, that's just their Yeah, they can also
1: turn it over a lot. That's, yeah. that's my real big concern in this game is that they are fantastic. Uh, they're really good in December, the season of giving, because they like <laughs> to give it away. And uh, that, that is my one big concern here. But I think the fact that UNLV uh, will give them great field positions is going to play a big role in how this ultimately works out.
0: Air Force at Colorado State, Air Force minus two and a half on the road. What are you looking at here?
1: Well, so, uh, you know, Air Force is a team that has played Colorado State tough a lot because they're both in Colorado. People forget that. So this is a little bit – there's a little bit more juice in this game um, than people might realize. And I've watched Air Force a couple of times this year, and I I believe that they can – when they get their offense going – um, they can be pretty tough to stop. And Colorado State's familiar with it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like they're coming into this game, T. Frank, with uh, with no ability to stop the run. But I just, when I was scrolling down the list here, and again, I, I'm not Ryan, I don't have the uh betting in you know the uh the how much bet is on each side and all these stats and blah 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 but i kind of bet a little bit more on feel especially for this week but you know air force just lost the army and uh you know the key with colorado state of course is that they're a pretty smart team and they don't beat themselves But I think Air Force comes into this game with a little bit more ability on offense, a little bit firmer of a defense. And when you put those two things together, a field goal victory for them, in something that's not quite a rivalry game, but certainly, again, there's a little bit of juice in this matchup, but I just think I have the right side there.
0: Uh, We have Georgia at Tennessee, plus 20. Too many points. Too many. Okay. Okay
1: yeah and you know i look I, i'm not overly enamored with the idea of standing in front of the georgia bulldogs train <laughs> but you know i would I, I think there's been times so if we think back to the tennessee alabama game yeah you know and i know alabama's maybe not as good this year as in years past but man up until going into the fourth quarter tennessee had every reason to cover that game and then alabama just boat raced him in the fourth quarter i believe I don't think that was the weekend of the Illinois – I remember getting home and I was listening to it on the way home from Penn State and I was like, man, this is going to be a good fourth quarter. It was not. I think it was like a 28 nothing Alabama yep. run in the fourth quarter. So, um, But, you know, if Tennessee can avoid that, I can see them getting just enough stops. And, you know, the, sometimes numbers don't make sense. Like, shouldn't this line be 24, 28? I mean, I know yeah. it's in Tennessee, but – goodness you would think with the way george is playing and some of the hiccups that tennessee has had that this number would be bigger i honestly was surprised that i was not able to get three touchdowns so um but sometimes i I like to go with the things that don't necessarily make sense and i love going against the top teams on the road i mean you can't be at your best every single week and if you are it probably means that uh you've peaked too soon and you're going to step off the valley at some point so i'm by no means suggesting that Uh, Georgia doesn't win this game, because I think they do. But I could also see it being in that 15, 18-point win uh, spread range, and that would cover 20.
0: Yeah, these big numbers are always... uh, That's one thing I'm learning. Anytime you see a big number... You might want to bet the under because there's a reason it's that high. Arizona state at Washington plus six and a half, the John Donovan bowl or the uh, former John Donovan bowl here. What are you looking at Arizona state and Washington?
1: Yeah. I mean, I needed one more game to pick. I didn't really like anything else. And yeah, <laughs> John Donovan's out. Uh, he was fired by Washington. Jimmy Lake, the head coach at Washington is suspended for this game after making contact with a player, I don't know if there was a skirmish or something on the sidelines, but he smacked the player right in the helmet, um, which never is a good idea. Whether nope. it's your own player or an opponent. Um, I never understood that why guys thought it was a great idea with an open bare fist hand to hit, you know, a piece of really hard plastic as hard
0: yeah. as they can. designed really to re- withstand impact at like 18 miles an hour
1: right so i don't think jimmy lake's the most logical guy in the world so he's him not being there might be a good thing for this washington team john donovan not being there i don't think it can hurt as bad as that offense has been so when you put those two things together it's a home game i don't really think they're going to be packing the stands in husky land but you know arizona state has some flaws too i mean i know they just beat up on i think it was usc um but You know, they have some – the running back for them is really good. His name escapes me at the moment. But, uh, you know, he is an extremely talented player, and he'll get his in this contest. I don't think there's any question about that. But I I just think that that Washington's going to have a little bit of a sense of urgency this week, and, and maybe that's crazy. Maybe it's not. Um, Rashad White's that guy's name, twenty-eight carries, two hundred and two yards, three touchdowns against uh, USC last week. So who will get his for Arizona State, but I you don't know. No, uh, no new head coach, or uh, you know, one game interim head coach for Washington. Uh, new offensive coordinator at Washington. You know, I just think that again, this number doesn't really make much sense to me based on what Arizona State just did to USC, and with all the problems at Washington, you would think this line would be over a touchdown. It's not. So. That jumps out at me as one of those, hmm, what, who knows what? where and how can I maybe profit with them. So that's how I land here. Not Certainly not the bet I would put the most confidence in this week because it's more of a hunch play than anything else. But I'd like the Huskies to stay inside the number here. I could see a field goal game. I could see them rallying and winning, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. it's not like I'm willing to uh, back the Brinks truck up for that particular wager.
0: Between Washington and Washington State's coaching staffs, things are not going well in that state for the people leading football teams. Uh, So just quickly, let's uh, recap. Give me your bets for each game, and then we'll get on to our game of the week. Here's the lineup. Give us the rundown of what you're looking at.
1: Yeah, so South Florida plus 23 and a half would love to get a 24 there. I just think Cincinnati has not been able to blow teams out enough with Wyoming. I just like the number. I like the fact that you're getting 14 points with a total that low. Uh, Hawaii's going to have great starting field position. As long as they don't turn it over, they're going to cover that game and win by a touchdown. They'll turn it over a couple of times. It's what they do. Uh, Air Force, again, I just think a little bit better offense, a little bit better defense. That'll take care of that game on the road. I don't think George is going to be particularly up for this Tennessee game. They sleepwalk through it and the Bulls cover. And then with Washington, I think the change there for me, T. Frank, is just that the changes with uh, the offensive coordinator and the head coach for this interim setup might inspire these guys to uh, get out there on the field and play a little bit better and a little bit more inspired football. So we'll see. But – also, let's count Michigan minus one and a half as a best bet this week. I didn't give you my best bet for that game, but let's make it that since you have it on the okay. docket there, and I tend to agree with it.
0: So you're going with Michigan minus one and a half in this game that we're going to get to now, our game of the week, Penn State and Michigan. Michigan on the road is the slight favorite. That is, So you're you're kind of right now saying you think that Michigan is going to get this game, and they're going to move on in in the rankings and stay there, and Penn State is going to drop another game
1: so i have the wolverines by a touchdown 27 20 and i made that pick on i think tuesday and uh there's a lot of good news coming out of penn state's camp about sean clifford being able to get continue to get healthy and be able to run the ball and maybe he will i just need to see it t frank yeah. um the the performance at maryland 31 17 is fine but one of those are obviously a defensive touchdown and i just have major concerns about penn state being able to consistently move the ball i mean the most alarming stat to me to come out of that Maryland game was that they were really good on third down, even though their average distance to go was like 8.2 yards because they completed, I think, on average 13 yards per completion on third down, and that's just not really something you do every single week. So I just have really big hesitations about the, the pass protection being able to hold up. And look, Michigan has injury issues, and Michigan has its own problems. This is by no means a game that Penn State can't win. And in fact, the home team has been the dominant one in this series for a couple of years now, but I'm just not ready to put uh, my confidence in Penn State being able to win a game like this because, you know, again, when this offense can't run, when it gets off schedule, you know, at some point teams are going to stop fumbling in the red zone against Penn State and stop (laughs) turning the ball over against Penn State in the red zone. And how does Penn State react to that? You know, when field goals turn into touchdowns, and maybe it's not this week. Maybe it doesn't happen. I don't want to take credit away from what they've done because it's been impressive. But at the same time, um, at some point, I think that, you know, the turnover luck might go against them. Or the third down ball that's batted away might turn into pass interference or defensive holding instead of team up to one. You know. Something is probably going to work against this team at some point this season in the red zone, and can they respond well enough on offense? And that's kind of one of my big concerns here. Again, it doesn't have to be this week, and maybe it won't happen. But um, I I look at this game, and I just have concerns about Penn State being able to make enough plays to win. If Michigan takes away Jahan Dotson, who's the guy stepping up to carry Penn State? Who's the guy stepping up to make a big play? You know, it can happen. They have the talent. But we see drops every week. Yep. We see missed assignments every week.
0: What would we you do? Just just one quick thing. Uh, what would you do with Keandre Lambert Smith? Because it seems like you just got to live with the drops this at this point. You do Guy, just, guys just, that fumble the ball get pulled from the game, and yet you you drop a fifty three yard pass from Sean Clifford on the best throw he's made all season. I, I'm not saying I I don't agree with with benching running backs that fumble for the rest of the game. I'm just saying it seems like there's a double standard there. What do you do? with with that how do you how do you live with that when you have those big plays that just don't happen
1: i, I recruit better receivers i mean i think part of the issue because it, it's the same conversation at tight end i mean yeah. Strange, Steo johnson have dropped plenty of passes they're still run out there every game because tyler warren is currently uh best utilized as a short game runner and i don't even know if that's the uh, best use of him but certainly i don't think he's uh you know, a guy they want to play 15 snaps tight end every game. And and so I think it's those, you know, you can answer those two position groups, not that you ask about the tight ends, but you can answer it the same way T. Frank. It's that, you know, it is it is what they have at this point. And maybe Malik Mega cuts in his, his reps a little bit now that he's healthy and back. But, yeah, again, that's kind of just, that's just it. That's kind of my concern here is that the drops and the missed assignments and the missed holes and everything else, I mean – you know, Penn State's defense has been great this year, but let's not forget, and, and, you know, we'll see if Lucetta plays. My gut would be that it is, but if not – you know, you're you're starting two backups then along the defensive line yeah. against a team that loves to run the ball. You've literally doubt-
0: one starter from the beginning of the season left on your defensive line, if that's Correct. the case. And Lucetta, by the way, is filling in for the original starter at that position. So it's right. It's a bit of a mess. Um it is. Uh,
1: and, yeah, What do you think ahead.
0: about that matchup between the the Michigan offensive line and the Penn State? defensive line and those tackles, especially considering what we just talked about with the young guys that are playing there. And the last time they played a team that liked to run specifically power yeah. and that had uh, six offensive heavy sets, things like that. How do you think that's going to play out? Because they did better last two weeks, but very different defenses.
1: Well, you know, it, John Scott jr. Said they're expecting Illinois, or, uh, Michigan rather to take out of the Illinois playbook those big heavy jumbo packages and if they do you know they say that Penn State's ready for it and that they know what to look for and blah 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 but to me and I know you're, you can cover this much better than I and you might even tell me I'm wrong but you know Penn State can adjust to that schematically and they can adjust to it uh, from a personnel perspective to some degree I mean obviously having P.J. Mustafer hurts a lot in that particular equation but T. Frank, if you're not playing the fundamentals well of rush defense, and that's what really bit, I thought, Penn State in the Illinois game, it yep. doesn't matter what you've seen on tape. Yep. doesn't matter who you put in there. If you're not setting the edge, if you're not containing guys, if you're in the wrong gap, if you have no idea where the ball is and you're overrunning plays, they're going to run all over you. So, yep. And there's no amount of film study that can fix that.
0: Yeah. From So two things that I think are important in this is that – Brandon Smith has been getting better against the Mm -hmm. run, but those were teams that like to play in space. This team doesn't like space. In fact, they like to put nine people, whether it's six offensive linemen or not, around the line of scrimmage. They like to play 1984 football from the shotgun, which I just, I find the whole thing so Jim Harbaugh and hilarious. But Brandon Smith has to be better in this particular type of game and the defensive line has to keep him and Ellis Brooks clean. The other part of it was there was no, it wasn't like it it wasn't just the negative plays of getting on the other side of the line of scrimmage. The defensive tackles couldn't hold double teams at all against Illinois. I think that will be better. I think those two things have improved incrementally, but then it becomes, is it a game like Wisconsin, where to your point, they gifted you to like a turnover in the red zone and a bunch of other terrible plays in the red zone. Cade McNamara, and this is why I asked James Franklin this on Wednesday, that's what he's not gonna make those mistakes. You had those right. mistakes against young quarterbacks. This is a veteran, experienced guy that doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And and I think that's a huge thing for Penn State is they're not gonna be able to uh take advantage of some of those things that you had from Talia Tunga-Valoa, or from uh Graham Mertz or even from CJ Stroud, a young right. quarterback. And that that is the thing, is that um that offense is explosive enough as a running game that they might be able to pop one, and the the receiving core I think is growing a little bit as the season has gone on, where they're a good complement. I, I I struggle with this because the the passing team always has the advantage in my mind, but do you think that that Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo neutralize Penn State's offense? at all i know you have them having 20 points in this game but is that like three and outs for most of the game and then some garbage points or is this a back and forth game into the fourth quarter
1: i could see it as a back and forth game into the fourth quarter maybe penn state scores midway through the fourth quarter to pull within a touchdown and give the home crowd life that they can come back and win but ultimately it just becomes a pass rush game i mean you know we can talk about and it's not wrong necessarily that Caden Wallace and Rasheed Walker have been really good in pass protection, but these are the best defensive ends they're going to face. And yep. I know the immediate yep. retort will be that, well, the Penn State defense is the best defense Michigan's going to face. And yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, but, you know, I guess, and maybe this is unfair, but I have more confidence in Michigan's offense to be able to put up enough points to win against the best defense it faces than I do Penn State being able to hold up well enough in pass protection to be able to move the ball enough uh, without a run game to to stay in this one long enough to win it. And yep. I could very well end up being wrong, and I'll get this thrown back at me on Saturday night, and that's perfectly fine. But I worry a lot about the fact that Sean Clifford might have to throw 47 or 52 or 58 times. Yep, We're going to get home at some point. They are yep. not going to be quiet for four quarters if you are dropping back to pass 50 times. Yep. So that's where my concern lies, is if Penn State is going to win this game, they have to be able to get the ball out fast enough with guys getting open or hold up well enough in protection to give Sean Clifford time to find guys. Then he has to make the throw. And, yep. you know, that's that it has, been an issue at times. So All three, three of, of those things said, that
0: you just mentioned yeah. have broken down at one point or another during the season whether right. it's Clifford no, making it's the, the decision. One yeah. Uh, so the the thing that I'm looking at too, and I agree with you that they've been good in pass protection. They've been okay in pass protection. I think Caden Wallace has struggled with some really ugly losses at times. And that's what these two guys can do to you is make ugly losses turn into turnovers. Right. And, to, and, and that's really, you have an elite pair of pass rushers. There's no other way to describe them. They're, they are, they are performing at a level that is the best in the country as a tandem. And you have two guys that have been battling and playing well, but have also had their terrible moments. So that's why that is such a decisive advantage. And there's one thing that uh, I know it's been brought up this week, and I want to read from your article, illustrated.com, if you want to check out and sign up for just $1 for our new home at On3, a deal and a steal. You cannot get yourself a better present for the holiday season than 12 months of coverage. It's not a box subscription where you get it once a month. You get this every single day, For exactly $1. Uh, Talking to Sean Clifford today or earlier this week. There are guys that will come open on third, fourth, fifth part of the progression that if I can get to them in time, they are explosive plays. I think a little bit of a combination of both, meaning um, wanting to throw the football. I feel good. I feel great, actually, from a health perspective. 100%, I would say. So it's not as much that I don't want to run. There are just things downfield I'd rather get to in passing. That's both good and bad to me because if he's on his fifth progression it is time for him to leave the pocket and he well, has and not been willing way, to do that. Ball too long.
1: Yeah. Yep. He holds the ball too long.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and, and you're not going to be able to do that against this team. That good right offense,
1: there. It's really successful when you're getting to a fifth read. I mean, and you're still in the <laughs> tackle box. That's the problem that, yep. that is, that leads to some of these sacks where people want to blame the offensive line and the running back. Well, no, he's still in the tackle box and in, he's on his fifth read and He's had the ball for eight seconds. Yeah. I mean, get out of side and throw it away.
0: Yep. So or, or yeah. the check down. That's another thing that I think is going to be big yeah, this week. Is it's missing is, a lot. Yeah. Is he is inconsistent about the fact that he wants to get the ball downfield, but you've got fourteen yards and Noah Kane in the flat.
1: They did it a couple of times against Maryland, but not enough, and they'll yep. need to do it this weekend, no question.
0: Uh, that is going to do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. It's going to do it for the week. I think you did an awesome job. Thanks so much for filling in for Ryan here on the on the last day of the week, uh, Greg. Appreciate it.
1: Always good to be with you, T. Frank.
0: Don't forget, coming up after the game, we will have probably 335, 340. We will have the post-game show, BWI Live. I'm riding solo again, I believe, this week. Tom Hannafin, a very busy man who's in high demand. So make sure you tune in for the post-game show. We'll tell you the what and the why of how Penn State and Michigan breaks down. We'll talk to you then.